coming to the last few verses of Romans chapter 8 today. If you'd like to turn there. And the pictures of the sheep and the Nike of Samothras will be, may be apparent as we go through these verses. You know, the largest dangerous animal in the wild that I've been around was a 10-foot bull shark. We were about 100 feet down in the Benga Lagoon, and it was called Shark Alley. I'd been to Shark Alleys before there, where there were no sharks. So I was a little surprised that there was actually a bunch of sharks here. There were white tips, black tips, even a few tigers, but they were all three feet to five feet long, and suddenly out of the dark blue ocean came this huge 10-foot bull shark. And at that point, I realized that he was the king of that part of the ocean. I realized that if he got it into his mind to make a meal out of us, there was nothing we could do about it. He was definitely the, the most powerful animal in that area. And so in our previous verse last week, we looked at that we are considered as nothing more than slaughter sheep, sheep to be slaughtered. And so we'd be surprised that then the next, this verse that we're looking at now, designates slaughter sheep as more than conquerors. We would think a lion or a tiger or a bear or a wild dog or a shark would be more than conquerors. But here, these slaughter sheep are given that designation. The status of these super conquerors, more than conquerors, range from people who are in trouble and hardship and persecution and famine, nakedness, danger, and danger of their lives, of sword. And so the question is, how can super conquerors, how can people more than conquerors who are sheep, how can we be more than conquerors? So let's look at these two verses, and it begins with the word no. And last week I said it began with the word but. And some of your translations will say but. And but means more, a no. But means no. <laughs> because you know this. I agree with you, but what are you going to say? You're going to say something you disagree about. I agree with you, but, and that means no. And so the, it's the same word. Uh, and it can be translated either way. But he says, no, in all these things, and those are the things that we've just mentioned, hardships and so on, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're going to look at this super conquerors, more than conquerors. And it comes from a single word. It's a compound word, two words put together, but it's a single word. And it means, you can translate lots of different ways, more than conquerors, super conquerors. It means a superabundance, overwhelmingly conquer. 
above and beyond, a surpassing victory, super victorious. I mean, all these words, when you look at that, tie in together that, that these sheep are the super victorious conquerors. And it's the culminating description going all the way back to verse 1 when it begins to, to describe people who are in Christ as people having no condemnation. And just going through verse 1 through this particular verse, which we've been doing over the last few weeks, we see that these Christians are described in many ways, uh, people who have no condemnation. They are people who are living according to the Spirit, who have the Spirit of God in them, who are led by the Spirit, who are children of God, who are heirs, who are saved. We have the Spirit's help. We have the Spirit's intercession. God is working all things together for good for these people. The call we hear and respond to is according to the purposes of God. And the journey we're on is to be is one that we are being conformed into the image or the likeness of his son. Further, God is on our side. His son was given up for our redemption. No charge or no condemnation can be brought against us. God declares us righteous. Christ intercedes for us. And because of all that and more, some things I skipped, he says, these people are super conquerors. You could say there is a holy arrogance of victory. As we come into this verse where it says we are more than conquerors, almost an arrogance of victory. And this victory isn't personal. It's not our personal achievement. It is personal, but it's not our personal achievement. And because of that, there's no pride. The focus of this victory isn't in ourselves, but it's in the work of Christ, and it's in the victory that he, he attained for us. It's in his love. So as we focus on our super-conquering victory, and we get this sense of of overwhelming uh, victory and, as I said, our holy arrogance of victory. It's not in our own personal uh, achievement. As Steve was saying, it's the rescue that we have had through Christ. Over in Ephesians chapter 6, it's almost a parallel to this passage where it says, Now be strong in the Lord, not in ourselves, but be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then it tells you what to do to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He says, put on the armor of God. He begins to describe the full armor of God. And he says, there's spiritual forces arrayed against you. So you have to be prepared. You have to put on this armor to fight. And it's not against the people who are persecuting us that we're fighting. And it's not even against life's troubling events that are around us, the troubles, the hardships, and so on. But it's a spiritual battle against spiritual force, forces or foes, but it's being demonstrated or we're, we're feeling that by the physical things around us, the troubles, the hardships, the famine, and so on. And so he says, now this is, a, this is more than an ordinary victory. You're super victorious. These are words of war, words of combat. We need to decide who we're fighting here 
And then we take the very things that were meant to destroy us, troubles, hardships, so on, and we turn those things into tools and make them victorious tools for us. And so in this battle, we're more than conquerors. And he says, in these things, no, in these things, we are more than conquerors. These are the things that have been mentioned, range from trouble all the way to death. It ended last week as we looked at the last verse where Christians are regarded as slaughter sheep. These are sheep that have been raised for nothing else than to be slaughtered. The very things designed to subdue us, the things that have been designed to defeat us, we emerge out of them victorious. We're in an upside-down world. Ever since the world was broken when Adam and Eve sinned, we're in an upside world in which the troubles win the day. Hardships rule. Those who persecute are considered victorious. Hunger destroys. Nakedness shames. But God turns all that on its head and says none of these things are victorious over us. Christ stands firm in the middle of all these things, in the middle of the storms of life, and since we're in him, we are super victorious. We conquer them through the one who loved us. The world attempts to conquer trying to get around Christ. Have you noticed that, how people avoid Christ? They try to get around Christ in, in order to conquer things. The, the world, go to any book, well, can you go to bookstores anymore? Look online and look at books that talk about how we can be conquerors, how we can uh, 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 self-help books, that type of thing. And Christ isn't mentioned in any of them. We get around by having a believing and achieving and setting goals and all these different things. We get around Christ. But he says we are super victorious through the love of Christ. It's as if we were going through Christ and his love. And that's where we're victorious. And the conquering love points back to the cross. It says through the one who loved us. And it's in the past tense. So it's pointing back to the cross. And that's why every Sunday we point back to the cross we have that memory time of the communion where we think back and say that's the point of our victory it was a death that gave life a cross that demonstrated love a resurrection that gave hope and power super victorious and then Paul goes on to say I am convinced I am convinced he is fully convinced and this made me think, what do I know? What am I sure of? What can I say? I know this. I'm sure of this. And so Paul really here is bringing in, you could say, his personal testimony to the, to the arguments that he has been li uh, laying out for us in this, well, not chapter 8, but all the way from chapter 1 through chapter 8, he's been laying out his evidence. He's been laying out his arguments. He's been telling you from the scripture and uh, of, of what, uh, how, we're, how, how we have this vic uh, victory. And then he comes to this point where he's actually laying down his testimony. He moves into first, 
person here. We looked at four who questions, if you remember. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who condemns us? And so on. And so he's been laying this out saying, look, obviously no one does. That's, that's where the evidence points. But now he goes into first person. He says, now I'm convinced of this. Based on my life and based on the scripture, I am convinced of these things. You know, testimony without evidence, I don't know really how to describe this. It, it's nice. It's okay. But it, it's not solid. It, it's, just, it's just fluff. But evidence without testimony is kind of just academic. It's just information that we get. You could say arguments without personal conviction, or it's just theory. But personal convictions without evidence is, there's no foundation there. It's just wishy-washy. And so Paul is bringing here the difference between I know and I feel, and he's bringing these both together, my evidence in my life, and he says I'm combining the evidence with my experience, and based on that, I'm convinced of something. Paul looks back over his life, and you can look in 1 Corinthians and other places where he lists the things that he went through. And he says, I stand convinced. I am fully convinced of something. He knows from Scripture that this has been proven true in his life. Through the worst of times, he's discovered over in Philippians where he said, for me to live is, to, uh, for, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And so Paul presents the all-encompassing list of separators that cannot separate. Each of these that we're going to look at has the power to separate, has the power to remove who and what we love from us. And Paul states that he's absolutely sure as much as power as each of these have, Christ's love is greater and that's when he includes us all in this. This is my evidence, Paul says, but I include you all in it. And this list is all-encompassing words. We don't have time to go into any great depths of each of these words because they have, they have meanings that are, are, are broad. They're, they're narrow meanings, but they're broad meanings in here. And isn't this list designed to, feed, to defeat us? But it actually pushes us to Christ. That's how we can be more than conquerors. As we look at each of these that are, that are designed to push us away from Christ, they actually draw us closer to, us, to him. And that's how we can be more than conquerors. And so the first one that he has here is death. He ended the previous verse where we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's a death word. And so now he comes in here and begins this list, this new list, with the great separator, death. Death separates us from this life. It separates us from family. It sets, separates us from friends. And if we can just remove everything we know about death from the Bible, if we can just get that out of our mind, what would be our response? What would be our response if we knew nothing about what God says about death. And all we have is our experience around us. Death cuts short the lives of many. I was reading about a man who was wealthy. He was handsome. 
and he was dedicated to the Lord. He was giving away his millions. He started prayer groups at Yale University. This is about 100 years ago. And he decided to, in fact, uh, uh, like 90% of the student body participated in this. And he was leading people to the Lord and decided to go to China. And he was in his early 20s. And he arrived in Egypt on his way to China. And he died. The end. And if all we knew about death was the tragedy around us, we would say, what was, that? what was his life worth? Here he had a, a, a person of great um, potential. He could have done great work. He had the wealth to do it. He had the personality to do it. He had the charisma to do it. And it was all cut short. It separates, death separates forever from those we wish to be near in love. It erases a person's influence, and eventually it erases their memory. What does it matter if they ever lived? Most people who have ever lived are like nameless animals. Born, walked the earth for a time, and then having gone on, have no lasting influence on anything. But for the Christian, death is not final. It's not the final word. It is just a movement from one sphere to another. It's a door that ushers us into fellowship with others and face-to-face fellowship with our Lord in a grander way than we can ever imagine. And we know this because the Scripture tells us this, and there's many passages we can go to, and I'm just going to point to one in 1 Corinthians where he's talking about when, when the time ends and immortality and mortality is, is blended together. He says, death has been swallowed. Then the saying will, uh, that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And then he asks the question, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of the sin is, is law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. Death, the great separators, can't separate us. And then he says life. You know, sometimes life is more difficult than death. The pains, the weaknesses, the struggles, sickness make life for some just an existence and not life. I've actually been asked at the bedside of someone who is sick, please pray that I die. Have you ever prayed for someone that they would die because they knew death was greater than their life and so we did that angels is the next one he says angels can't separate us the powerful messengers of God who serve in the presence of God and then the next word he says is demons and this is not the word actually the word demons but it's the word that said that is beginnings the beginners, uh, some translate it the principalities, angels and principalities. And it means anyone who takes a primary role, a first role, a number, a beginning role. It could be a king, it could be a ma- magistrate, it could be a spiritual leader. And so my translation would be more like an earthly leader. 
And then he says present. All things that are going around us right now. Family situations, health, work, state of the country, the state of the world. That can't, can't separate us from the love of, of Christ. And the future can't. Anything that's, come, that's around the corner. Tomorrow can't separate us and next year can't. And then powers cannot separate us. Anything with might, nature, storms, tornadoes, cold, heat, thunder, lightning. It could be miraculous powers. It means a lot of things, but it could just mean the earthly powers that are around us. And then he says, neither height nor depth. And that takes in all space, everything from the highest to the lowest, everything in between. It could refer to astrology. The astrologers use these words in the first century. The height was the, the, the top uh, um, star of the, of the time and the, the lower one, and they moved. And he said it could, be, it could be that. Height could be bulwarks and walls and barriers. Depths could be also uh, could be extreme poverty or deep laid plans or mysteries that we don't understand. It could mean all those things. And in case we can think of anything else, Paul uses his all-encompassing phrase, and anything else in all creation. As we go down the list, you might say, yes, but I can think of another one. I can think, well, if you thought of another one, Paul covers it all here. Anything else in all of creation. Try as it might, the whole world and everything in it can't make God stop loving you. Of the billions who have lived and are totally forgotten. Not even their names exist on tombstones. The great battles of history, kings and generals, the brave, the brilliant, are mostly forgotten. And as time passes, we only recall the nearest historical facts, the recent past. And the further we get away from it, the vaguer these memories are. And only those who have a great interest in history and reading can know of those great battles and things that have happened in the past. But of all those who, who were in Christ, they are not forgotten by God. God calls them super conquerors. Their names are remembered, and their names are written down in the only book that will last forever, the book of life. Corey Ten Boone was captured by the Germans, put into a prison, a concentration camp in World War II. Her crime was hiding Jews instead of turning them over to the government. And she writes in her book, The Hiding Place, about a time when they were reading this passage, this passage of More Than Conquerors. And she says, I would look about as Betsy, her sister, read, watching the light leap from face to face, more than conquerors. It was not a wish, it was a fact. We knew it. We experienced it minute by minute in an ever-widening circle of help and hope. Life at Ravensbrook took place on two separate levels. One, the observable external life 
grew every day more horrible. The other, the life we live with God, grew daily better, truth upon truth, glory upon glory. Revelation 12, 11 says, And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. Conquerors, more than conquerors. I'm going to back up to verse 28 in my paraphrase, which kind of is that whole paragraph that leads to this verse on being super conquerors. On top of all of this, we know that God blends together everything in our lives, all the ups and downs, from the best of times to the worst of times, and like a master chef, his final product for us is good. This is for God lovers, those who have heard God's call and are day by day and step by step moving resolutely toward his ultimate purpose. Here's proof. Observe those God knew in times past. He determined their behavior would change into a mirror-like resemblance of his son. His son would thus lead a numberless family of brothers and sisters who would follow in his wake. These ones whom God previously determined to live in such a way, he invited and summoned them into this relationship. Those called ones, he thus credited, credited them with the status of just as if they had never sinned. And these saved ones he deemed glorious, highly esteemed, and of great value. In view of all these things, what is left to be said? Since God's focus is on our interest and for our betterment, does it matter a whit who opposes us? Grasp this. God did not cling to his own specially loved and divine son, but he turned him over, gave him up for each one of us. How could one with such sacrificial generosity not graciously give us along with him the totality of what we now need? Who will bring an indictment with charges against the choice ones of God? God himself continually renders the verdict right with God. Who are the ones crying out for a guilty verdict? Christ Jesus died and even more was raised out of death. Now he is in partnership with God, ruling the universe. He represents us speaking and praying on our behalf. Who will serve us divorce papers from the love of Christ? When the pressures of life lay heavy on you, when life's walls seem to close in on you and crush you, filling you with great turmoil, anguish, and anxiety, or when others pursue you like a wild animal, seeking your doom, or when you're hungry and you find the covered bearer, or perhaps when you don't even have a stitch of clothing. What if you were in absolute peril, your life in jeopardy, with someone about to lop your head off? The scripture laid it all out in black and white long ago. For your sake, Lord, we stare death in the face, day in and day out. We are only thought of as slaughter sheep. But God turns that all on his head. And all these things we are super conquerors, victors above them all, through the one who loved us. For I am absolutely sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that neither death nor the rigors of life, angelic hosts nor earthly rulers, whatever is happening now or what will, whatever will happen later, not weather calamities of the harshest kinds, Nothing from the highest peak to the lowest depth, nor anything else on God's green earth 
has the strength or power to pry God's love away from us. It all resides in Christ Jesus, our master. And now the task is to put that into practice in our lives. God bless us as we attempt to do that with his strength.